0: Hi, this is James Devine and I am an educator who has come out of the trenches. Listen in as my friend and colleague, Dana Goodyear shares stories and tips from other educators who have come out of the trenches.
1: Welcome to the Out of the Trenches podcast. This is Dana Goodyear, thanks for listening. My next guest is Bryson Tarbet. He is a pre-K through sixth grade general music teacher just outside of Columbus, Ohio. He received his Bachelor's of Music in Music Education from Ohio Wesleyan University and his Master's of Music and Music Education with a Kodaly emphasis from Capital University. Reisman spent the first year out of college as part of an elementary school intervention team and fell in love with working with students with disabilities. Due to this experience, as well as his personal experience as a neurodiverse individual, Bryson feels very strongly about advocating for sensory and emotionally inclusive classrooms. Bryson started That Music Teacher LLC with the goal of sharing different perspectives and issues pertaining to the lives of music educators across the country. He also hosts That Music Podcast, a podcast for elementary music teachers, and is the educator behind the Elementary Music Summit. And uh, well, I'd like to also talk about the podcast in the um, in our recording today, but uh, welcome to the podcast, uh, Bryson. It, it's great to have you on today.
0: Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to see what we can uh, get into in today's conversation.
1: Great. Well, we'll start off with a question that I ask everybody, which is, uh, tell me about a time when you were in the trenches and managed to crawl out.
0: Oh, I have so many questions. So many things that I could think of and so many great ways that I got out of the trenches. One that you know comes to mind initially is when I was an undergrad, I really struggled with my mental health and really struggled with... Um, depression and anxiety and unfortunately it ended in a not so great situation um, that required me to take a lot a big huge step back and really re-examine a lot of different things um and it was really hard having to completely stop and essentially rebuild my life um, but mm-hmm. I'm so excited to be here and I'm so glad that I've had so many different experiences because of that that have led me to where my career and where my life is today mm-hmm,
1: mm-hmm. So um, we talked a lot about in the bio, the accessible classrooms and, um, you know, just in terms of a music teacher, uh, first tell me a little bit about how a music teacher can make their classrooms more accessible and then how you speak to maybe a general education teacher um, on making um, just in terms of like a lot of the hands-on, I know you have a lot of like instruments and different things that kids like to touch in a music class.
0: I I want to start by saying that any classroom can be accessible. When we say accessibility, we're we're not necessarily saying doing things that allow kids to be, you know, help, you know, or changing the assignment or things like that. But the, when it comes down to the core of it is really removing barriers to access so okay. that everyone that walks into your classroom can be successful. And for me, what that, what I, what kind of what that looks like in practice is being very precise and very um, particular about the way that my classroom is set up and the way that my lessons are set up so that my students, for instance, my students that have might have sensory conditions or sensory um, sensitivities, they're going to be able to have over-the-ear headphones or they're they're going to be able to access some fidgets, things that we can implement that help all students uh, mm-hmm. access our curriculum in so many different ways. Um, and then when it comes to, you know, the general education classroom and how music and education in general works, I really think that it comes down to that when we think about it, we are not teaching science, we're not teaching music, we're not teaching math, what we're doing is teaching children, we just tend to have different ways of doing that. And I I love music for so many different reasons, but educationally, the, what I see it can happen and has happened so many t- often so many times is that when we have students that are set up in a way where they're able to express themselves creatively mm-hmm. create creatively and kind of think of things in a different way we see those social emotional skills come out we see those relationship skills come out we see those connections to other art forms to uh, other subject areas and when it comes down to it regardless of what we teach it really comes down to the students that are in our classroom and how we can get them on the the easiest path, or not necessarily the easiest path, but the, the paths with the most thought into it so that they can be successful. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. And uh, that kind of leads into um, how to make a classroom um, also accessible if you're having students who have a lot of behavior issues. And this could be uh, just general, if, Or if they're maybe not even diagnosed with ADHD, but they're just going maybe trauma-informed practices using that more. And then also if you have some students who um, are, um, you know, inclusive classrooms and we have students with um, severe significant needs and, um, you know, they might be um, making utterances throughout the lesson, things like that. How do we uh, help them feel like a part of the classroom?
0: So there's so many good questions there and because they're questions that are getting asked a lot yeah. and I'm glad they're getting asked because it, yeah. it kind of comes to that. point. We're trying to do better. Unfortunately, yeah. part of the problem is they're being asked because a lot of people don't know the answers and they feel like yeah. the well, their answer that they've come up with isn't good enough. And when the when, when it, it kind of comes down to it, I found that when it comes to behaviors and classroom management, um, a lot of it goes down to when I'm able to ensure that my students can access the curriculum and that they're able to do it in a way that sets them up for success, that's when they're going to want to want to do the right things. That's when they're going to be more able to control themselves because they're engaged. So what are some things that we can do to increase engagement, to increase their sensory and emotional regulation? Um, Some of the easiest things that I do in my classroom, like I've said before, I allow all of my students to use fidgets. I, Mm -hmm. all of my students can, can always go over and grab a set of over the ear headphones to kind of, if it gets too loud, I only have half the lights on because I have these wonderful windows in my classroom. So if we just have all the fluorescent lights on anyway, it's just too bright and doing it in a way that is also when I'm creating and delivering my lessons, I'm not asking them to do things that they, that, Really aren't able to do in a successful way. For so, yeah. for instance, I had kindergarten was the last class that I taught today. I mm-hmm. love kindergarten music, but they, it's a little bit like herding cats sometimes, and <laughs> and and I say that lovingly. But the reality is, is if I were to plan a lesson where I wanted them to sit crisscross applesauce for twenty seven minutes, yeah. they're not going to do it. It's not going to be successful. I can yell at yeah. them all I want. I can remind them of yeah. expectations all I want. The reality is, is the students that we have in front of us are not fit by the way that I was teaching them. Now, yeah. that's not how I taught them because I have gone through, I, I've i really made sure that Um, for instance, in my classroom, I don't want to be in one space doing the same thing for more than seven minutes. I see my kids for 40 minutes. So what can I do to cycle through every seven minutes or so, so that we're in a different location? We're not sitting in front of the chalkboard. Now we're standing in a circle. What are we able to do to kind of bookend their focus, to re-bring them back in, re-engage them into the lesson? Um, And I found that implementing those changes Allows so much more of the students that I serve be successful because the behaviors that are, you know, that that aren't necessarily coming on purpose. They're just, you know, impulses and things like that. We're yeah. not getting, we're not seeing those as often because they're so engaged, because we're able to reset their focus and reset where they are and what they're supposed to do, rather than letting them sit there for the entire 40 minutes and do the same thing. And that's when our expectations differ from the reality of what kids can give us.
1: Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. And I like how you point out just uh, getting them to, you know, switch places. I know I've subbed in elementary music some and, you know, having them do the circles and then having them sit on their spot and then having them maybe do some dance. And, you know, it doesn't matter if they're in kindergarten or third or fifth grade, but really switching it up a lot, like you said, and, and not always teaching from the same spot in the classroom. And not expecting the one kindergarten class is going to be the same as the other one,
0: right? <laughs> yeah, I just released an episode on my podcast, that music podcast this past week all about what I call classroom zones. Uh-huh. So in my in my classroom, it's in front of the chalkboard. It's over in front of my little reading nook. It's making a circle. it's scattered. And the kids, we kind of implement these so that they get to know what these different spaces are. Yeah. Um, and then another little added tip is if you're able to give them transitions, give them something to do while they're transitioning from zone to zone. That's yeah. when they're going to be so much easier. So, for instance, one that I use a lot is I'll have my students I'm like, all right, can you sing and clap the rhythm of the song while you move over to the reading nook or whatever? And it gives them yeah. something to do. It gives them a really short time frame because hey, by the end of the song, we got to be there. And it yeah. really allows it allows the flow to go so that the students are are engaged. And there really isn't time for us to get the, a lot of those, um, let's say, less than desirable behaviors. Mm-hmm,
1: mm-hmm. Yeah, I like that. It keeps them engaged. It keeps their mind on other things than just going off somewhere they shouldn't be in the classroom. Sure. So
0: physically uh, or mo- mentally. <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah. So uh, we talk a lot about play-based learning uh, for younger kiddos. But uh, when we're talking about the older elementary or even kids that are getting ready to go into middle school, uh, how do you uh, plan for purposeful play? You said you teach in both a K through four and then a five and six school. So definitely the planning will look different for the upper grades.
0: So I like I said, I, I typically, I, well, let me take a step back. I love play-based learning. I think it is the way that kids learn best. It's so joyful. The kids want to be there. The engagement's high. And like we said before, getting all the engagement higher is super helpful for so many reasons. Um, what that looks like at the from grade level to grade level can look differently. But I think when we really look at the, the foundations of it, it's giving the students the ingredients and kind of seeing what they can come up with. Okay. And, you know, depending on the grade level, depending on the, the, the class itself, you might give them more pieces of the recipe. I like to think of it kind of like the great British bake off, which sometimes they just have a very basic recipe and it just says cook the bread. They're like, well, how long, how long am I supposed to cook it? Yeah. Some students will be able to figure out their own solution to that. Some students will need a little bit, you know, a little bit more persuading and this can look at something as simple as composing or, com- or you know, improvising on a xylophone. But it could also be as simple as saying, "Hey, I have these this pile of instruments. How can we sort these in a way mm-hmm. that makes sense?" So again, not only are we talking about classifying instruments into their families, but there's so many skills that go into classifying and, you know, categorizing and working together with other people to figure it out, and that. The basis of play-based learning, for me at least, is the kids are experiencing the learning and the kids mm-hmm. have active agency in it. And that is going to, like you said, it's going to look very different from kindergarten to sixth grade. But when you look at the what I'm asking them to do and what I'm giving them, it often looks very similar, just a different process along the way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. this podcast is a proud member
1: of the teach better podcast network better today better tomorrow and the podcast to get you there you can find out more at teachbetter.com slash podcasts now let's get back to
0: the episode mm-hmm.
1: yeah and I like how you talk about like breaking it up and uh, giving them some of the ingredients um, you know for the younger grades you might have to get more give more ingredients right but really, um, yeah, and looking at the different tasks, like the sorting, the classifying, um, also when they start learning about instruments, like, you know, is this a wind instrument? Is this um, a string instrument? Things like that. So yeah, Um, and then then it it helps make it fun. So um, have you worked with teachers, um, maybe given some talks uh, to great other uh, teachers in in just uh, regular gen ed classrooms and and how could they make some more activities play-based? Would you be able to get some tips on that?
0: So it really comes down to how can we let the students take charge honestly how yeah. can we make it you know I, I i listen to a lot of different podcasts and sometimes they're like well what if it was easy and i think well what yeah. if it was fun how can we take this lesson and how can we make it look like if we just gave kids free reign and saw what happens think about things that happen on the playground there is so much learning that's happening in the playground you might have kids that are they just found this really cool bug and they're chasing everyone with it and there's all these yeah. different things going on but the reality is is those kids are learning a lot of skills. These kids were able, I mean, whether or not they said, yes, you know, this is what the category of this bug is, they're making observations. They're they're thinking about this, you know, what is this bug? You know, is this a safe bug? You know, is is this a bug that might scare Johnny if I chase him after it? So when we're thinking about play-based learning in our classroom, what can we do to allow it to be joyful and fun? So in a Jedi in a classroom, that could look something, you know, could look very different depending on the age and the topic. But if you have a specific skill you want them to do, if you want them to be able to figure this out, If you want them to be able to, let's, for instance, spell a word, um, what ways could you do this other than just saying, all right, write, write this word down. You know, I know I'm a, my kid, I, or when I was a kid, we love, I loved the game. Sparkle was a wonderful way to gamify the learning. We were still learning. We had to, there was some strategy involved because we had to pay attention, you know, and what if it were fun, how can we make this fun? And I know that sometimes there are things that we hate teaching that this, you know, the powers that be say is something yeah. that we have to teach. So what can we do to flip it and say, all right, what can we do to make this fun? How can we make this joyful? Um, and sometimes it goes down to saying, Hey kids, we just learned this concept. What do you think we should do next? Mm-hmm. What do you think we should do with this information? How can we do, do things like projects based learning and things like that? and, really see where it goes. And I I know that there are time constraints that are, that can be very hindering when it comes to yeah. this type of learning. Um, but what can we do as the teachers to relinquish a little bit of that control and yeah. let the kids be kids, but using the concepts we want them to be?
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. And I really like that piece about letting it be more student centered and student choice rather than just going off of what your lesson plan is, or what your PLC's goals are, right, and I think there's a lot of um, teachers that can get more buy-in from kids when we're having them be a part of the decision, right, and not let that fall by the wayside, like you said, the the gamification. We talked a lot about that when we were doing remote teaching, but, you know, I, I don't see that all the time, you know, going on, um, you know, it, there's it, there's bits and pieces, but I think we need to bring more of that back, yeah. Um, so, uh, I talked to your bio about, um, sensory processing, um, and how you growing up, uh, with a sensory processing disorder and, um, ADHD, how that changed your approach to teaching, uh, when you became a teacher. Um, and you told me that when you went to college, you did plan on being a music teacher. So how did you kind of develop the uh, the passion as you were going through K-12 as well?
0: It's been a journey to get it to yeah. get through school and honestly even to this day I'll still realize different things that what I call my neurospiciness, Um yes. <laughs> where, where like things I'm like, Oh, that's not a normal thing to do. That's, that's something sure. that Bryson's brain figures out yeah. and, you know, going, going through school with ADHD and sensory processing disorder and being in the arts, being in music where there is a lot of sensory input. Um, yes. I I've, I've learned and I had to unlearn some different ways that I kind of experienced life um, and experienced things. And one thing that I wanted to really bring into my teaching was the understanding that sometimes a student truly has no control over moving their body. Mm -hmm. Sometimes a student is trying so hard to do what they need to do so hard to focus, but they physically can't. And what can we do to help them be successful? And one Mm -hmm. major switch that I've made in my language. Once I started realizing and seeing these students and seeing myself in the students that were really struggling with, you know, things like staying on task and, you know, not being overstimulated and things like that, these, these classic signs of overstimulation. And instead of saying, I need you to sit down or, Hey, I need you to stop yelling, taking them aside, getting, you know, not bringing it nice and calm and say, what can I do to help you? I see that you're struggling to focus and that must be very frustrating. What can I do to help you? And I know that some teachers are like, well, it shouldn't be on me. It, the student yeah. needs to, you know, they they need to they need to, you know, suck it up and do it. And the reality is is there are some kids that are taking advantage of a system, but there are so many kids that truly are trying their best and they go through their their day only hearing their name as a negative redirection and that breaks my heart because that student is giving 120% to try to mm-hmm. focus it's just the results aren't getting there mm-hmm. so making that shift in my language i've seen such a difference in my students cuz for one some of them will go i don't know i i, I don't what can you do yeah. and that really starts this process of allowing students to understand that sometimes they're going to need to advocate for themselves and sometimes they're going to need to come up with some solutions and shifting that language so that it's a collaborative effort rather than me coming in from a place of authority has been a huge change in my teaching and honestly just feels so right to me.
1: Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. And I really like how you pointed out, like uh, just changing your languaging, right. And not saying like something you need, but like, how can I offer help? Uh, because kids are not going to refuse your help in most cases, right? And you're providing that as the teacher who supports them and understands that they they might be in need of some help. And um, as I was asking about, like, in terms of your uh, K-12 experience, was music just something that you uh, grew up having a passion for? Did you play instruments and then decided um, that's what you wanted to be pretty early in life? Or was it kind of as you went through high school that you got into that, like wanting to be a music teacher?
0: I have always been kind of the center of attention whenever I uh-huh. could help it. Um, I started doing community theater very young. I okay. I transferred in, in fifth grade to an arts magnet school, which was awesome because I got to do band choir and orchestra um, starting in fifth grade. And that kind of really shaped me into the musician. I am um, fast forward a little bit into high school. I was like, all right, I love singing. What's the next step. And I was so yeah. close to going music performance.
1: Yeah.
0: And I'm like, I, I'm, I'm feeling really called this way. So I went in music yeah. education, said, all right, I'm going to be this wonderful high school choir director. I'm going to take all the kids to competition. We're going to sing at Disney. It's going to be amazing. And then my first class at, in undergrad, we observed a high school classroom and I hated it. She was okay. a wonderful teacher. There was nothing wrong with it. It just, I was like, this isn't for me. This isn't the life that I want. Um, And I was heartbroken because I had literally just gotten there. <laughs> I had literally just yeah. gotten to undergrad and I'm like, all right, guess I have to start over. Um, thankfully the next week or so I was able to observe a second grade music classroom and it completely changed the trajectory of my life because I saw that joy that we were talking about earlier. I saw the ability for everyone to be a part of that class and for everyone to make music in the way that they are able to. And it completely changed the trajectory of my life, my career. Um, and I'm so glad that things turned out the way they did.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's really interesting how, like, you had that, like, yeah, that you were thinking about, like, the competitions and Disney and all that, probably for years based on your high school experience. But then, you know, just seeing that observation, how the little kids learned music and, and, you know, it de- developing the passion for, um, you know, helping them understand music. Um, yeah, it just takes that one little uh, step, of that one observation. Um, so talk to me a little bit about your business, uh, because you told me you haven't been in education for so, too long. I think you said or six years. Yeah. Okay. And so it's not that often I hear from people who are relatively new to teaching that have started their own business. So your business, that music teacher, um, and then the podcast, the music podcast. Uh, so what got you into uh, launching your own business and how does it serve elementary music teachers?
0: Well, to make a long story short, long story short, I spent my first year of undergrad outside of the music classroom working um, in the special ed world, and I loved it. Uh, it was such an amazing experience, but I missed the music classroom. So I created an Instagram account at that music teacher because I wanted to be able to follow a bunch of music teachers that were sharing what they were doing without clogging up my main feed, and that turned into when i started teaching i would share what i was doing my first year of teaching i just accidentally went live on instagram didn't even know that was a thing that happened <laughs> and i just kept i just kind of went with it it just started yeah. sharing what i was doing and that turned into this whole guest series on instagram live which turned into the podcast and it just keeps spiraling and yeah. the reason one i love doing it, it truly is my self care to be able to uh-huh. help serve teachers in their classrooms from all over the world but what i really noticed was there is such a lack in content specific professional development for elementary music teachers, Mm -hmm. especially at the school and district level, Mm -hmm. you know, even within the state, you know, if you're, you know, the state music conferences that can be hit or miss at the, you know, if you're at the, you know, Ohio music education associations, music conference, it might be a great conference, but there's like three different rooms that are that general music is in. And the rest is like all the high school stuff. And I really realized, I I really realized that we're such a, a lack of, Quality PD out there that was accessible to for teachers to because and the reality is there's so many elementary music teachers out yeah. there yeah. and we are, are I, I hate being thought of as my purpose is to prepare kids for band and choir but the reality is whether or not they do band or choir what happens in our classroom is often times the most foundational formal at least music education a student will receive and. Whether or not they go on to make music formally after they leave my classroom, I want them to leave knowing that the arts are important and knowing that the arts are there for whenever they need them because they can serve so many different purposes. And that is really at the core for me, why I do what I do. So on
1: um, your website, um, how uh kind of what what kind of PD can they find or resources do you offer videos uh blogs articles or uh maybe uh discussion points is there like a chat group how what can they what can they find on your website
0: i really like sharing like practical tips like this is something that you can do in your classroom this is something that you know or this is an approach that you can use to make your classroom more accessible um one of my favorite things that i've Ever done in my life was the Elementary Music Summit, which we hosted the last, the first time this past summer, um, where we welcomed over 2,400 elementary music teachers to a free online professional development conference, where they were able to really get tips and tricks from other teachers that were in the field who are doing what they're doing and know the reality of, especially you know the last couple of years, a post-COVID music classroom. And being able to do that in a way to really give them the, mon- the momentum to have their most successful school year yet is probably the highlight of my career to be able to be a part of such an impactful event really made my teacher heart so full.
1: Do you have plans to put that on again this
0: year? Or? We are. It's going to be okay. bigger and better. It's going to be July 10th through the 14th. And I'm so okay. excited.
1: Okay, well. Thank you so much for that information and I will direct people to your website. Um, I would just uh have this great conversation about your um just your background and how you teach, um, keeping in mind all learning styles and all needs and um you know your own journey to become a music teacher. Out of everything we talked about, what's one thing you'd like listeners to remember?
0: I uh, regardless of who you are or what you do or what you teach or how you impact children's lives. Remember that every single student is unique. They have experiences that you have lived and they have experiences that you have not lived. And it comes down to ensuring that regardless of who they are or what baggage they come in with, is your classroom a place that they can be successful? That's the question I want you to ask yourself and then make, make the, take the steps to make sure the answer is always yes
1: can people connect with you and find you online?
0: The best place to hang out with me is on if you are a podcast listener at That Music Podcast um, or at That Music Teacher on Instagram.
1: Okay well thank you so much for being on the podcast today and um, I'm going to make sure you know people get information about the summit uh, before it happens. I'll be releasing the episode uh, close to the date that that summit goes live and so they'll know where to register and be a part of that. So thank you for all you do to providing PD for these elementary school music teachers.
0: Thank you so much for having me.
1: My book, Out of the Trenches, Stories of Resilient Educators, has now been published. You can access it through Amazon. You can buy it at the Road to Awesome website, or you can get it through my website at danagoodier.com Please re- leave a review and you can also access it on Kindle. Check out the show notes on Dana to learn more about this guest and links to their social media. Please subscribe, share, rate, and review wherever you download this podcast. Tell your friends and colleagues about it. And if this episode resonates, especially with you, be sure to share it out on social media and tag me at out of Trenches PC.